Hello, you are listening to Dirty Doctrine. This is Triana. This is Maya. Thank you for being here with us. We talk about religion and tell stories about our experiences in leaving and healing from religious abuse or religious addiction. We are not against God, religion, or spirituality. In fact, we welcome that as long as it is not dogmatic. Okay. So today we're going to be doing um, an interview with Tree. Mm-hmm. We, I think we went over this in our last um, episode, or our first episode, we're sisters. So I'll just be asking her some questions about growing up in the Mormon church mm-hmm. and how she felt, how she's still dealing with it today. Yes, and we tell our stories because later on we plan on right ask, talking to other people about their stories and just talking in general about different topics about dogmatic religion and healing from religion and yeah, different types of experiences in most situations. So first, I I would just want to if you can sum up your background in the church, um, just <sighs> maybe a good quick experience of your background growing up as a Mormon. Mm. My background, like, okay. So I always remember being Mormon. I think I talked about before we did our first episode that um, my first earliest memory is like, I don't know if this was in a picture or or actually I remember it being a memory. But I remember being at on the temple grounds with my parents, and I believe that they got sealed with me that day. Like mm. I remember that, but I don't remember anything else. I remember wearing a dress, being on temple grounds. My parents were really happy. And mm. then, I mean, my relationship with the church kind of changed as I got older. Um, our parents got divorced, and we were with our mom, who wasn't as, like, super strict about the Mormon thing, and she kind of wasn't really Mormon after they'd split up, right? Yeah, she wasn't really, she didn't follow the the religion. She kind of joined because of my dad, I think. I don't know. That's that's its whole topic. That's its whole (laughs) podcast we could talk about. Uh, Their relationship and, like, joining to get married and, yeah, converting your partner. So she never really stayed in, and when we lived with mom, I feel like I didn't have a hugely pushed religion. Like, mom didn't like certain things, like, but, like, random things that seemed kind of Mormon or Christian ideals. Like, we weren't allowed to say but yeah, in certain things. I don't know. (laughs) Random things. We weren't allowed to watch Simpsons, but we were allowed to watch other random things. Like, the, the, the ideals and the morals were never really consistent on her end. I don't know. So, like, when eventually we were given uh, custody to our dad majority of the time, after that we were with our mom, like, holidays and summers pretty much. Yeah. When we got custody from our dad, she he was living with, he was married now to our stepmom, who was way more dogmatic and strict about their religion. And that's when I started to feel like there was something wrong with me a little bit, that I wasn't following the religion right, the one that I always remember being in. Yeah. I feel like the R. Arthur family wasn't so strict, dogmatic, fundamentalist about the religion, and I still don't understand why our dad... (laughs) He doesn't personally believe in it that way either, you know? He doesn't follow that 
he believes in it in a healthy, rational way, but I don't know. I don't know how that. I don't know how that relationship works still to this day. But as the kids, we were mostly at home with our stepmom, who um, was very dogmatic and very pushy on those things. And we were even homeschooled in that way. So like, I very quickly feel like I was kind of like broken into this religious person that I became. And I started to connect being good and being a good Mormon person with being good enough especially when it came to my connection with our dad, because I feel like that was our huge connection, was our spirituality and our connection to the church. We both have very strong, now I think of it, and I just think we're both highly sensitive people in general. Mm -hmm. And that came out through religion and spirituality. I still feel all those feelings, but not in the same way, or like connect it specifically with religion, like I did then, because that was my only explanation for it. Yeah. Um, so like I I grew I kind of was a wild kid like I said because we were with our mom at first who wasn't as strict and then when we moved in with our dad I became way more dogmatic about it strict very Molly Mormon but I would do things wrong and I could never like quite like, be perfect enough <laughs> can anybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, we talked about this in the last episode, the perfectionism, where, like, I would cry at piano lessons, I would, like, now I know, like, it started to train and instill in me, like, this, these anxious, ruminating thoughts, um, of regarding my worthiness, uh, regarding a lot of different things, like, I had those things going around in my head all the time, mm-hmm. um, So this is turning out to be a lot longer, but as I grew older, I, I've always been like a super curious kid. It's very, I think you told me that you felt like I was very outspoken. Yeah, I did. Um, I think that I got that way a little bit as I got older. Like I feel like I was as a kid, very outspoken, rambunctious tomboy. Then I kind of got broken and then it came back. For Your a bit. true self. My true self came back because. Your inhibit. What is the word? Inhibit. No, inhibitions. Your uninhibited self. Yes. Is that the word? Yeah, <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm trying to think where I'm at now. Where I'm at is teenagerhood. I. Things no longer made sense because the more I studied these things and the more like conflicted I became I started I think I was in that confusion stage where like um, I like a lot of these principles and I feel so much pressure like our family and our small town we grew up I wanted to talk about this a little bit had a lot of pressure and um, we were Arthur's and apparently like in our in our little town name was a big thing and our dad was a really well-known person and so was the Arthur family and the church community in that little town and we were seen to be like generally had good reputation we were kind of expected to uphold that yeah and I felt a lot of personal pressure to perform academically athletically spiritually up to what people thought that name should be or what I was told I was supposed to be because I had that name remember that like remember who you are and what you stand for every time we leave the house yeah 
I wasn't being told to remember who I personally was or what I personally felt like I should stand for. It was, remember, you are a part of this family and you need to stand up for our family's ideals, like not personal. Um, and I bought wholeheartedly into that. I was all into the Mormon shit. Like I would get mad at you and Kenzie, my little sisters, for like not being good Mormons enough, like listening to naughty songs, which aren't even naughty, like <laughs> yeah, Buttons by the Pussycat that. Dolls. I was that annoying Molly Mormon <laughs> up until my shelf started to break. Um, yeah. And we talked about that. Um, so I guess, I think I had a question that was, similar to that, um, what is the first moment you can remember doubting what you were taught or doubting. what the church taught? So I guess that goes into when when did you notice your shelf, I guess, beginning to, if not break, beginning to like wear down or okay. crack? This is going to be like super personal, but like for me, la- <laughs> this is so weird to talk about so openly, but whatever. Um, like I've always been as a kid like always super interested in like human human development like mentally as well as physically so like I was super interested and like curious about puberty (laughs) and like sex and I learned a lot of things my mom's our mom's a nurse practitioner she was a nurse going to school so I had access to different medical things and I was really curious about sexuality and like how babies and humans were made so I knew from very young age medically like how humans were made And as I got older and older and older, I had the opportunity and the usefulness of technology to answer my questions without feeling shame of asking my parents. I mean, eventually they saw my search histories and they would question me about it, but in the moment, I felt safe enough to learn things. And what I was learning about my human sexuality and human sexual development and human development was that masturbation and healthy sexuality was not wrong. It was normal normal and healthy, and I I actually was, like, I would masturbate when I was, like, pretty, not pretty young, actually, like, the normal age, and I didn't know what it was, because our Mormon church taught so much that girls didn't even do that. I didn't know what it was that I was doing, because only boys were taught that was wrong, because they're like, girls don't even do that. It wasn't even a thing that was discussed, yeah and then eventually I figured out what I was doing what it was that it was wrong and then I felt even worse because it wasn't even addressed like how dirty was I as a person to be doing this thing that girls don't even do or talk about or apparently nobody else has this problem (laughs) because I you know that I would go through this cycle of like repent repeat repent repeat never do that again repeat you know like post nut clarity (laughs) sorry jesus but like honestly that's when my shelf started breaking when as i started to learn the inconsistencies of what they taught about human development and sexuality versus what like i literally learned that it was unhealthy for men not to masturbate it was bad for their prostate and they'll have wet dreams anyways it has to come out it'll come out eventually and like it's just so much liberation and so like i can see from the outside where people are like our parents think that i just wanted to go sin 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 and have sex when really i just at that point i didn't even think it was bad i thought that i was actually kind of a late bloomer when it came to those things i didn't have my (laughs) first kiss till i was 16. yeah and then i had sex when i was 17. like that's the actual national average is 17 years old it wasn't 
And I was still being treated like I was 11 in my house. I remember, I remember a lot of that from my perspective, I guess. (laughs) What's open about a lot of it though. So I remember like you having birth control and then finding it and you're just like, how did, how do you even find that? It was hidden in a bookshelf of books or something. Yeah, I had birth control that I hid. Like it was a NuvaRing. It was in a little thin packet, and I put it in the middle of the book, in the middle of my bookshelf that I wasn't reading, and somehow it was found. I was like, who who goes through my books? Exactly. (laughs) It's by my my stepmom. But, like, that was a common thing. I felt like I had no space. I had no... Now that I look back and I've studied human development, like, I... They didn't treat us, like, as the age that we actually were, and I mean, how were they supposed to? They couldn't let us do the things, make these sins, but, like, at that point, I was sneaking out and doing whatever I wanted at that some point after my shelf broke, and my parents knew, our dad and stepmom knew, and they told, she told me that she knew, but they didn't do anything about it, because, I mean, what were they supposed to do? Chain me down in bed? (laughs) Um... But yeah, that was my shelf breaking was like the inconsistencies and then the inconsistencies just built on from there. The other historical inaccuracies, um, the inaccuracies in regards to like LGBT and like that you would teach us that watching porn would lead to like being gay and then that would lead to being a a pedophile. Yeah, I remember a lot of teaching about porn because I also got in trouble for my search history looking up body parts and stuff. Because we were curious, normal kids. Yeah, so I had to read a bunch of books about porn. I remember that type of stuff. Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) We got in trouble. You remember, like, what did we get in trouble for? That Kenzie knew something, like, the word sex. None of us even knew what sex was, but we knew the (laughs) word sex, so we had this whole lecture about, like, who taught you that word? Yeah. And then you guys said me, and I was like, well, probably. Well, it probably was me, but I knew what sex <laughs> was, and I didn't, like, sit and talk about sex all the time. I just, it's a thing, yeah, a topic just, that I knew about. You find out about it. And I just <laughs> knew that it was something mom and dad did. I thought sex was, like, anal for a long time. I didn't know that there was three holes. Like, yeah. my sexual knowledge wasn't for complete. For the longest time, I didn't know that either, so. <laughs> yeah. Um even with all that, like, this is why I think sex education is very, very important, because even after all my self-sex education, I still didn't even know that we had a vagina that was separate from our urethra. Yeah, it's definitely something that's not taught, at least in our household or community very well. Yeah. Um, So... I guess this kind of leads into the next question. Do you have any memories of being shamed for thinking freely or not aligning with what the church thought and taught was right? Okay, well, first, early, I have a kiddo memory where our stepmom was teaching our primary group. Like, she was teaching primary. Like, it's a big group of kids, and I was being a really rowdy tomboy girl. I wasn't broken (laughs) yet. And I said some flippant, anti-sacrilegious type thing on accident. She said something about Joseph Smith. She was teaching about Joseph Smith and it was supposed to be super holy and quiet. And I was a kid in all rambunctious ADD mm-hmm. out. And I yelled something like, like, oh, she asked a question like, why don't we say like, 
in the name of Joseph Smith. And I said, because we don't want people to think that we worship Joseph Smith or something. And I said it just flippantly. And I got in so much trouble. Like, just because one, I was acting out of appropriateness for a girl. I was supposed to be quiet and like, I was breaking gender norms as well as being flippant about a holy subject. And that was right in front of my stepmom, in front of everyone. And I feel like she was a little bit, I felt like she felt like I had, what's the word, shamed her in front of everyone? She felt like embarrassed or some type of... Yeah. I don't know exactly what happened, but that stands out in my mind where I felt shamed for being me. And then, what was the question again? I feel like there was another one that came up. um, Do you have like any memories of being shamed for not aligning with what the church taught? Um... Yeah, I mean, like, my whole relationship with my ex-husband, Herschel, like, there was a whole bunch of things related in there where, like, I was supposed to be feeling bad for having any kind of sexual relationship at the age of 17. Consensually, with birth control, we were being safe. Um, I think that the only other thing I can think of, and it's not related to, like, any trauma or anything, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, when me and Herschel moved to Logan, like we were together dating and wanted to move into an apartment together. And Logan is so Mormon as well that you can't get any off-campus dedicated college housing without being married. You ha- you can't be roommates. They what? won't let you. Like it's really hard. That's why we ended up getting married a little bit is we moved into married housing. And so we were expected to be married by the end of the semester to continue to live in the married housing. Yeah. They made an exception for us. That's why they got married so fast. Ooh. Right. Anyway. Yeah. They pressure so much just in that. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a kind of like I never got married because I felt like I had to as a Mormon because mm-hmm. I didn't care about that. I just figured they gave me this reasoning where I'm like, well, me and Herschel are planning to be together forever, so like, why not get married now if we're going to yeah. eventually, anyways? <laughs> that thinking was like really not smart, but. I was being influenced indirectly by the culture of being so permeated in, like, even Logan, Utah, moving all the way across the state to not be influenced by that anymore. <laughs> it still follows you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, have, have you ever felt like anyone has judged you for your decision to leave, at least in a way that has either helped you or hindered you in your progress? and finding out who you are as a person. I know that's a really wrong question. Hmm. But do you just feel like you've been Felt judged, judged in by any anyone way since you've left that's helped you or maybe hurt you? I think it's it I think it has gone both ways. I think that mm-hmm. I have been judged and I've also judged others because I could see their behaviors they were doing that I used to do that I'm not okay with now. So I kind of was judging them for judging me when I've done the same thing to other people. I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah, um, I, f- I have felt judged by uh, specifically like a little bit some family members who like talk and explain about how they have experienced the same things and they still are Mormon. I'm like, we definitely have not experienced the same things. And if you have actually like yeah. really explored it to the extent that I've explored these things, you wouldn't be Mormon anymore in my experience if you were very honest with yourself. 
if you actually felt like you were truly upholding all the things that you personally really believe you think your church actually really does because for me I'm either all in or all out if something isn't right in it I don't and I feel like maybe that's just my experience with the Mormon churches like I was taught that you have to be a good Mormon you're either all in or all out because it's one of those religions where you either are lying and faking certain things or you're not like you're actually in it and for me being someone who is actually all in and all out in it I have a hard time seeing and understanding people who say that they are something and don't actually live the actual values or try even to live the values if that makes sense like I see that we can make mistakes and be sinners and be forgiven but like it seems weird to me to like purposely do things that are sins and then just say you can repent after that's just not that moral to me and I wasn't even that way as a Mormon I felt super bad and I tried not to do things and I can't live a morally not it's just not moral to me (laughs) yeah just feeling like you can do something and then just bad about it later and it'll make it all better but it doesn't make it better I feel like you still lose trust in yourself slowly and it really lowers your opinion of yourself and it becomes your opinion of yourself is all about how God sees you and if that's not true self-love or true self-confidence, that's an external thing. You're trying to get this self-love and confidence from an external validation from God still. Yeah. Not from yourself. Anyway, I think that I answered that question pretty yeah, well. Yeah, definitely, definitely was a good answer. Have you found another religion or your own spirituality after leaving the church? Um, my own religion or spirituality... It, it depends on, like, at this point in time, I've identified as a lot of different things. So, yeah. <laughs> I have always been spiritual. So, like, I moved through different phases. At this point in my life now, I would say that I am a mixture of eclectic spiritualities. But if so, if I were honest, honest, I'd probably say I am a witch, which is just a pagan belief of many gods and of nature and of lots of things that I can fit based on my beliefs, my cultural beliefs, my background of Navajo beliefs that I enjoy to practice, as well as my meditation and yoga, everything that I've found that works for me, and my own philosophies that I've found that actually benefit and improve my life and my mind. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, I've, I've used to identify as agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, um, pagan, like I would say I'm a witch just because that's such an all-encompassing gender-neutral term, but honestly I just believe so many things like I can, I feel like I can interpret anything to be in relation to what I believe because I take so much truth out of every philosophy and religion that I've learned including like Hinduism, yeah. Christianity Buddhism, Taoism like just all of those philosophies as well as psychology and um, studies of human behavior I've incorporated which usually match the eastern philosophies on how things work <laughs> yeah it's very interesting because um, so you take like from multiple different sources and what works for you mm-hmm. so I feel like I use a lot of things as symbolic like I could say that I'm a pagan and I believe in many gods but I don't literally I believe that things are just as real as I want them to be, and if I can sit and pretend that something's real, then that's what's what makes that not real to me. Yeah. But I don't know if I necessarily believe in things the way that people might want me to, that makes sense to them, but it works for me. Because I honestly do believe in working with gods and goddesses, but I don't necessarily believe that I like... 
I believe that I am a god or a goddess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like true becoming self-actualized, um, enlightened, or spiritually enlightened is the process of becoming a true power and leader of your own life, which is being a god. Like, it's yeah. creating your life and your reality and the rules in it for you. Do Sounds you woohoo, but... No, it Yeah. <laughs> and... No, realizing your actual own autonomous power and living and accepting that is really hard for people. They yeah. want to think that someone's going to come save them and nobody's going to. It's really, really, I guess, comforting to some people to just believe that someone will save them. Yeah. And I, I get that too. Like, I think that I had to experience that to move on through it into something else, but I've had a lot of life experiences that have led to me to this, and okay. I, I understand where people might under not get that. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to fully understand every decision you make. Um, have you ever felt any kind of identity crisis um, trying to find yourself after leaving the church? Yeah. That's like the biggest thing that's hard a bit. Like I think even after I knew it wasn't true, the identity cross crisis was a long process for me. Like the process of like at that point where you realize that everything that you based all of your life and ideals and morals and vo viewpoint of things has been not accurate. So you have to go back to the drawing board and erase everything and start from square one. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like, mind, yeah. yeah, like I have to go back and restart. Like, what are my ideas of parenting? What are my ideas mm -hmm. of what's right and wrong? Um, like, how am I supposed to figure things out for myself in a way that feels right or actually is right and moral? Um, what, what, what leads to my happiness and the happiness of others and like the issues of morality and good and evil and what's good and evil and just going back and being like a child that's never learned anything about the world, but you're an adult and you just gotta figure it out by exploring. It's really hard to unlearn what you've been taught since you were a baby and like figuring out what was maybe a good thing to learn and you can actually use that in your life now and what's kind of just was used as a way to control you or you know, fear-based. Yeah. Like what, how do you separate those two, I guess, growing up being taught such a black and white way of thinking? Is it hard to separate and see it, that there are maybe gray areas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and learning what, where we stand on the gray areas yeah. can be hard because people want to challenge you on certain things. And I've, a part of my process has also been learning that no matter what, someone's going to want to challenge me on what I think and believe, and I just don't have to accept the challenge. Like, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, if someone feels like I need to prove something to them, that that's reflecting a need from them, not from me. Like, why I, people feel like they deserve a lot of things from other people when really don't. You don't owe anybody anything. In the most positive way. Like, that's a humanist view, I'm pretty sure. Like, you don't owe anyone anything, but you do 
need to be ethical in a way that you don't hurt others. You can pursue your life as much pleasure in things that you want in an ethical way. Yeah. In a way that includes consent in all things, not just sexually. Yes. So. Do you, I know that your life has changed, whether you would have stayed in the church or not, like growing up is just, there's a normal change in your day-to-day life, but do you have any like big changes you would say from when you were in the church to now and how you lead not only like your day-to-day life, but maybe like how you spent your Sundays, how you spent mm-hmm. your mornings, you know, I know that we did a lot of, in the nighttime we did scripture reading and for every meal we did praying so has that changed yeah (laughs) i don't like let's let's what are our our regular rituals as a family we regularly did scripture reading at night in the morning as we could get ourselves to do it um we prayed before every dinner together we did family home evening every monday we did mutual in church always always unless you were sick yeah and you would pretend you had to pretend to be sick sometimes we didn't want to go yeah um i think those were the regular rituals obviously there was more yeah. like holidays and stuff but they were a thing about religions is they keep you very engaged so that you don't have as much time to think about anything else and that's also a tactic that they use to keep you in but yeah but now I don't do any of that shit obviously I mean I've, I've gotten my name out of the records as well um, mostly because it was a symbolic thing for me to be able to say that I am really not a Mormon anymore or like I used to be and literally not be a member and also the same thing where I didn't want to get contacted anymore about something that I don't believe in and yes. having to explain and I also just didn't like the idea that they were somehow getting my new address sometimes. That made me feel weird and uncomfortable. It's very weird. Um, to me, it's very weird. It weirded me out. So, yeah, it, like now my daily practice, I have daily spiritual practices, but they're not like that. Like, yeah. if I want to have a good day, I do my spiritual practices. I don't do them because I feel like I, I fear divine retribution or not being good enough to be able to go to the celestial kingdom or like to keep myself on track or else I will stray. <laughs> um, but like, I like yeah. to meditate every day. I try to do yoga a lot every week. Maybe not every day. I've been trying to do it 10 minutes every day, but sometimes I don't. Um, things to keep me centered and mindful in the moment and drink warm tea I try to limit um, I try to limit my pain and suffering as much as possible and increase my ethical pleasure as much as possible so but while also being realistic about things that I need to do yeah I like that it's a good way to spend your day or at least like having a ritual in the morning or something that make your day feel better but not like fear-based like you have to do it or else yeah and that's why I like being a witch because I can call them rituals and I can enjoy them and make them however I want instead of something I have to do yeah a ritual is more fun and magical and I can make it (laughs) yeah fun and happy and all my favorite things like, I always um, sage every morning. I pull some tarot cards, mm-hmm. drink tea, do at least a meditation. I journal gratitude. Like, 
I have regular things that I do because I know that my outcome is I will feel better, not because I want to go to heaven. <laughs> like my my whole like, what is it called when your your principle uh, when something's changed? Uh, mm. Uh, Shifting perspective. My my know. whole perspective has changed on what what is important because yeah. I don't like I don't I believe that maybe we do have reincarnations, but I also believe like it could be not like that's the thing is my my spiritual beliefs are be, so open. Yeah, it could be based way. on what happens in my experiences and what the newest information I get is. So it, I feel like yeah. I'm kind of scientific in my spiritual beliefs. What actually works through practice and testing and trial and error and reading and learning i like that though like you have evidence backed for a lot of your things but open to change Mm-hmm. because i don't think that i'm infallible yeah like some dogma wants you to believe that they are infallible they and are. always right but they're always the thing is they're always changing their doctrine and updating so that's that's what's interesting mm. um do you ever regret your decision to leave? Um, I don't ever regret anything, but I, it does make me sad that I have lost some of the relationships that I have lost, but I do know at the same time I do have perspective that um, I didn't necessarily lose them. Everything is an illusion anyways. We're all in a video game, so <laughs> I know that I'm really just receiving and experiencing different versions of myself that are in different stages of healing so I can understand or see how people I can I have so much empathy that I can understand why people are no longer in my life and I'm not mad about at them for it and it's not that they've done any anything to be out of my life it's that we just don't have that a connection anymore because that was our only connection was that, one that church mm-hmm. Is there anything you miss from when you did belong to the church and were an active member? Mm. Honestly, like I would like to say, I know that you said community, and I think that a lot of people would agree that community is like the biggest thing. You lose a huge social network, you lose a huge social connection. But I was so ready to be gone from it, and all the guilt and the shame that I felt like was all from them. I hadn't yet learned that some of this was self-learned shame and guilt, so I still was going to experience it, but I wanted so badly to be out that um, I didn't care that I lost the community. I knew, I felt like I could, I've always felt like I I could find a community. I hoped, I mean, obviously I still stayed up late at night and had those fears until I'd met I feel like I now have a community of support that is completely unrelated to the church, and I know that no matter where I move, I can probably make that again if I put the work into it and show up vulnerably and authentically and support other people. You just naturally start to build a community, and yeah, you just you can make your own family, you can make your own future. Blood doesn't always run thicker than water, especially when it comes to. Um, dysfunctional families or toxic history families or people steeped in dysfunctional beliefs or ideals or lenses of which to view the world which are super hard to relate to you. Yeah, super limited viewpoints. I see that. Um, I have more questions. It kind of took a bath. 
Okay, mine needs to go to the bathroom, and then we'll have 10 more minutes. I'm going to add a flag. Yeah, I'll have That's where it ends. Okay, and we're back. We're back. Um, I have a few more. I like a lot of your questions. You can go just go through and see if there's any we haven't touched. Ah. Okay, so what was it like for you when you decided to leave? The experience of leaving? Yeah. Like when you fully decided you don't want to be Mormon, follow their doctrine. Uh, it was super hard. I remember like um, my first since I've always researched everything on the internet and was able to get good resources, I've become really good at that from childhood. I would look up like different things about the church then because I already knew of lots of inconsistencies rationally in my own mind that didn't make sense about sexuality and human development. Yeah. Um, so I obviously had some other questions and I had an iPod, a phone or something, <laughs> things I can look things up on. And the more I looked things up, like, the more the subreddit, I was on Reddit a lot, yeah. Rx Mormon would come up, and mm -hmm. I would learn things about the facts of church history from church resources. Mm -hmm. So, like, it didn't feel like I was reading anti-Mormon literature, as they like to refer it. Anti-Mormon literature. <laughs> it was just but I was treated literature. like I was. Like, just because I had any questions, but nobody would talk to me about the actual sources where I was getting things from, or why I thought the way things I did. It was like I would scare them. Like I would scare wow. them because it was probably projecting their fears and questions that they have themselves as well. So they would shut them down just as quickly as they would in themselves. Yeah, they probably didn't have any answers as well because it, it does scary make sense. And yeah, and they're just like, well, you're just supposed to just have faith and know after we die we'll know everything. And I'm like, I'm not cool with that answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say that it was very painful. I feel like my shelf broke suddenly when I was 16-ish, um, very suddenly. And I feel like I went through a lot of angry, frustrated years after that of the grief process. Like, you know, the anger, rightful anger at what I felt like I was deceived, even though I know that now everyone, like, most people all have well intentions, but like looking at the church leadership and just being like, you guys don't really believe the stuff you're saying. You're making tons of money on this. And it just oh, made yeah. me so, I would get drunk and like <laughs> me and my, me, oh, I loved my ex-Mormon friends because we would get drunk and just like talk about the church and how much it made us mad. And it was super healing actually for us because we never were allowed to express that anger and it's a part of the grieving process. Just getting it out. An ex-Mormon, there's a lot of people posting angry anti-Mormon, ex-Mormon stuff because they're in the rightful stage of grief where that's how you process. Angry and feeling like you, yeah. Yeah, you feel, you feel tricked. You feel stupid a little bit. Like, yeah, um, you wasted... Not wasted, but or like even that you broke life. against your own morals sometimes, judging others as a yeah. Mormon, like looking back. Definitely, I feel that I've done that a lot in my past. That just from what we were taught, like believing that being gay was wrong, 
just everything like that. Oof. Yeah, I can recognize that. Yes. Dude, I remember <laughs> things that I would say about LGBTQ um, members that I just, like, I just really didn't understand certain things because I was never given the education on that stuff. Like, I would wonder different things about gender roles and stuff that I didn't understand about, like, mm -hmm. gay couples. And now I look back and I'm like, well, if someone just knew what they were talking about, they would have been able to explain that to me. But, I mean, eventually yeah. we learned on our own through our studies. That's very true. The difference between gender, sex, and all that stuff, and attraction, orientation. Um, but yes, uh, I feel like I went through a depression. Like I, part of my grieving process, I had the anger. I also had severe depression, and I had a lot of borderline impulsive tendencies, which I think that we might talk about more. But I don't know if it's I think it might be partly related to the church because I had lost all support system and like connection to what I thought was right and I was lost and confused. Yeah. And so I was doing a lot of impulsive things that now morally I wouldn't say is okay, but I also feel like I was mentally ill to a certain extent that now is under control with coping skills and therapy and medication. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big part too is like, I feel like leaving the church was a big re revolutionary thing for me to actually get the mental health help that I needed because they didn't really encourage that in the church like actually yeah. getting therapy or medication for anxiety and depression they didn't they like basically preached you should pray be able to pray and figure that out yourself or within the church or yeah you shouldn't need mental health help you should be able to find talk to the bishop God or yeah some church leader I feel like some people will disagree of, of us saying this but I'm like I, that was my experience thought, yeah. that was our experience <laughs> And I obviously, like, yes. you can disagree with anything that we're saying, but this was our experience. And I'm sure that as we have guests on more after us, our experience won't be alone. Yeah. <laughs> we will not be alone in some of these things. Definitely. So I'll wrap it up with one more question. I like this one. Do you feel healed or is there more work to be done? Um, I honestly would say that I am, I feel completely and utterly healed from my relationship with religion, specifically religious trauma and religious addiction, which I, I will just identify that I, I, I feel like I have an addictive personality and my first addiction was religion. <laughs> I was yeah. in love with the Jesus and the healing and the idea of like perfection. It's a good thing to believe in when you and then think it's the right thing. Yeah. So my first addiction was that, to yeah. find, fill the hole within me. And then my second addiction was love addiction. Um, and then there was a mix of love addiction and substance addiction. I wouldn't say that I've like had a huge substance issues problems, but I definitely explored and did unsafe things with substances for a bit. Um, and then I feel like my work at the, I worked with eat girls with eating disorders was my first step in healing where I started to teach these girls all these ideas of healing and getting better and I felt like I couldn't I couldn't be teaching them something that I'm not practicing myself and that's when I first left my husband and started my own path to healing without somebody else to fill the hole or substances and that's led to me where I am now I still feel like like in general, like I did that little rating of myself I told you from the book I'm reading about how I feel like I'm doing in the healing from various religious traumas or addiction even. Yeah. And I like don't think or have any of those things bother me anymore except for a little bit 
in the realms of sexuality and body image, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Body image and sexuality are still and a really tough one for me. Like, um, um, expressing my feelings. So, yeah, something about like expression, yeah. emotional self expression, which I'm actively working on all of those things. So, I feel like I'm in a really good place, but there's always more healing, but maybe not necessarily when it comes to religion. And that's probably why we both feel pretty healed. We feel like we can talk about yeah. this stuff rationally and talk to other people about their experience. Yeah, I think we're both in a good, a good space, so that's good. And we both have a lot of um, study under our belt because we've been so fascinated with our own experience, <laughs> right? And yeah. the human experience in general. So Maya is a psychology major and you're going back to school for your master's? I'm, I'm applying right now to either like educational psych, but that deadline is in like two weeks, so I'm kind of freaking out. But I'm going to do at least counseling, see if I get accepted because mm -hmm. it's a small program, but I think it'd be cool. I want to figure out something to do mm. to further... Yeah. And she's, Maya studied a lot about like psychology of, of cults and stuff too, which I've done too. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> We've both done a lot of the same mm -hmm. coursework. Yeah. Like sociology. Yeah. Because I was a social work major. So I did a lot of sociology, women and gender studies. I did women social and gender work, studies. Counseling, well. psychology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we both have a lot of overlapping interests, probably because they're similar histories, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really excited to start this podcast and share our stories more because this is, I feel like there's so much more to share, right? There is. So like, much I was more. just thinking of a, one more question I wanted to ask you, but I was like, it might be too late. You can ask. There's one um, Do you want kids or how has it affected your kid? Do you want kids' family? So, it won't take mm. too long, but that's a good question I wanted to ask. Uh, it definitely had affected my. I feel like it definitely influenced me to want to have kids. I kind of rebelled against the idea of having to get married a lot because I just didn't feel like I don't like the idea of being subservient or like that kind of family role as a woman. But in my relationship now, like with my husband, that's not how it is at all. We're like equal partners. We kind of refer each to each other as partners and we do want to have kids, but our view on having them isn't have as many as much as possible. We want to get as emotionally healed and financially stable as we possibly can before we have a kid because we just don't want to pass on things that we don't really need to if we at least try to prepare a bit. Yeah. My number one thing is I don't want to have kids with someone that I can't co-parent with if we divorce. So like that was a big thing for us where we talked about like maybe eventually we our relationship won't last and we acknowledge that sometimes and how I told him like it this is like the biggest thing for me to tell someone but like I actually want to have kids with you because I feel like if we broke up we could be cordial and good enough and I trust you as a parent with my kid without me there which is saying a lot yeah that's um, a lot of trust so yeah so I'm like it's a big trust thing for me to marry you because I'm making you my my desired life partner but we both know that may or may not happen in reality and holding on to something like a forever relationship is surely gonna maybe make that not even happen because we're afraid of losing them 
Yeah. But yeah, if we just acknowledged that, I think that it's important to have a really healthy co-parent and being in a really good mental and emotional financial place so that you don't pass on mm-hmm. scarcity to your kid, abundance, money scarcity, or yeah. emotional scarcity or issues or mental health issues. So. It's a really good space to be in, like putting what they will go through into mind before bringing them here. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not that they don't think about it, but they're not careful about it, so. Or they don't really have a choice, or like. Yeah. Um, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I like that. That's what my questions. Um, did you have anything I wanted to share about my religion experience? I think I will. Have- like, I think over time when we, sh- like, have stories and interviews mm-hmm. with other people, we're going to share other parts because it's an ever-growing in layer inside. Yeah, we can't wrap it all up in 30, an hour, 30 minutes to an hour, but it'll come out. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, we'll be bringing more people on soon to hear other experiences because we are not alone in <laughs> needing a religion. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.